Hello, this is episode 289 and in it, I am talking with building surveyor Laura Tanova, Director of Deem to Perform Consulting. Laura is a consultative building surveyor. So what does this mean? Well, you'll actually hear more from Laura about this, but in short, Laura's role on projects is to help homeowners navigate their building approvals more confidently and efficiently by understanding how their design and construction choices will impact their compliance with the National Construction Code. Building surveyor is actually a Victorian term, so in other locations this role can be known as a building certifier. And in this episode, Laura will share with you what you need to know about this role and about achieving your building approvals and especially how the latest updates to the National Construction Code need to be understood in the context of your project. And then in part two of my conversation in the next episode, Laura's going to step us through the process of achieving performance solutions, something that's going to become more and more important to understand in the building approval processes for projects. Laura is Victorian based, but what she shares is actually applicable throughout Australia and we try to generalise the terminology where possible. This is super helpful information from someone who is helping homeowners navigate this every day in the role that she performs on her projects and the projects that she works with on clients. And she's really had to dive into the weeds of the National Construction Code updates as well. So I know it's going to be super helpful for you. Now, my apologies, I have been battling a bit of a lurgy and I can hear in the recording of the interview as well, which was done a little while ago, that I must have been battling a lurgy then as well. So you get a nasal version of Amelia Lay. <laughs> this episode. Now, remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 289. That's the numbers 289. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to Elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in Northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. 
Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. Before I jump in, let me quickly introduce you to Laura Tanova. So with over 17 years in the building and construction industry, Laura brings a unique and refreshing approach to building surveying. Laura is a VBA registered building surveyor and Australian Institute of Building Surveyors accredited member. She has a highly regarded industry reputation, a proven record of quality outcomes, and she specialises in all facets of the residential construction process. Laura's business deemed to perform consulting offers a range of building consultancy services, ranging from full scope design handover packages to one-off building surveying consultancy requirements. And Laura prides herself on conducting business in a transparent, ethical and professional manner with all stakeholders. I was actually connected to Laura by friend of undercover architect builder Hamish White from Sanctum Homes. You may remember Hamish on the podcast discussing his projects, including a hempcrete home. Hamish actually consulted Laura and deemed to perform consulting for assistance in building surveying on that project in particular, which was a challenging one given the materials and approach. Now, this and my next episode with Laura, they are fantastic nuts and bolts information that really break down the National Construction Code structure, the definitions, the processes, really so you can understand what's involved for you and your project. So let's jump into my conversation with Laura now. Well, Laura, it is so awesome to have you here at the Undercover Architect podcast. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you because I know what we're going to be talking about is an area that can be confusing for industry professionals, um, you know, let alone homeowners sort of navigating it. It's very terminology heavy. And of course, the updates to the National Construction Code for 2022 have brought another layer of, I suppose, understanding that's required in terms of how we potentially navigate the approval process uh, for our projects. Before I dive into that, though, I'd just love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the work that you're doing now and set up Deemed to Perform. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, thanks so much for having me too. It's a real pleasure to be invited to, to have the chat and uh, I'm looking forward to you know, being able to dive into what I'm passionate about and share it with uh, your audience as well. So uh, yeah, look, I started as an architectural drafter. That's what I started in the industry as and happened to find my way into modular housing. So I think that's the point where I really became interested in other ways of building and innovative building techniques and materials and um, just doing things a little bit differently. And that also put me on the path to building surveying, right? So moving from drafting into product specification, compliance management, bit of project management too, and then actually finding that building surveying and regulatory matters, particularly, you know, with building products and modular housing, it was quite a different way of dealing with uh, being able to build here in Australia. So um, yeah, that that sort of put me on the path of uh, building surveying and uh, then went into, you know, getting into Victorian regulations and becoming an RBS. So a relative building surveyor, sorry, I'll apologise in advance for any um, acronyms and Victorian-based terminology you might use, but yeah, so a building surveyor. And then setting up my own business, which really is focused on helping designers, homeowners, builders be able to navigate through complex regulatory systems. I found that there was a real gap in where being able to act as a building surveyor or a building certifier 
to be able to assist because you're governed by legislation and you're an you're an authority, so you can't get involved with design. Um, you really have to have that distance. So there's a lot of gaps in being able to assist um, other project parties in navigating through that system. So working as a consultant building surveyor, you really have a lot more flexibility in being able to assist with the design and being involved early on in the project. And that's, you know, where I'm passionate and performance-based designs as well, having that modular background and it really sort of led me to that path there. So that's uh, sort of where I, how I got to where I am today. Yeah, it's, um, finding ways to do things outside of um, our very restrictive building codes uh, with the, the deemed to satisfy. It's been a really great opportunity to do that. Fantastic. Well, there's lots there that you've mentioned in that answer that I know will have pricked homeowners' ears in terms of, oh gosh, that, that you know, uh, what does that mean and what does that mean? So I'm really looking forward to, because even in talking about building certification, there's a lot of terminology rich kind of uh, language and that kind of stuff. So I'm looking to looking forward to diving into and unpacking some of those uh, terms and what they actually mean and how they impact the approval process for a homeowner. Can you just explain a little bit more about what a building surveyor, who, as you said, is also known as a building certifier in other states, Victoria is, is typically known as a building surveyor. What do they actually do and when do they get involved in a renovation or new build? And, and when do you sort of recommend homeowners sort of consider this professional in their team as well? How does that sort of process work? Yeah, so I think it's also really important to make a distinction between a consulting building surveyor and a statutory building surveyor. So generally for residential projects, if you've been involved with them in the past, you'll have known, you most likely dealt with a statutory building surveyor or building certifier. So that, that's the person involved with um, getting your building permit prior to the commencement of construction. So their role is to do regulatory assessments, act as a regulatory authority do a building permit once they're satisfied compliance is met from a design point of view, issue a building permit and then conduct mandatory inspections through the construction phase. So there are regulated inspection points and then issuing a certificate of final inspection or occupancy permit depending on what type of project it is and what it, what it requires. A consulting building surveyor is someone like myself who has the building surveying background and qualifications but they can act in areas so they're not appointed from a statutory point of view you engage them similar as you would a designer and they can advise you on design matters regulation through the whole process and act on your behalf and just have that that knowledge of a building surveyor and advise on regulatory matters but then also give design advice so generally a statutory building surveyor you would get involved once your design is quite developed they will want a minimum amount of information before they can review and process your building permit. So you're going to need to have a degree of structural engineering completed, architectural design for them to get involved. Consulting building surveyor, I mean, the earlier you can get someone involved, the better. You don't have to have a consultant building surveyor. That's, it really depends on the complexity of the project um, and whether you feel and your project, your design team feel it's necessary because you may be doing something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. You may be considering performance and getting someone earlier involved so that they can do some preliminary assessments for you, set out some design option for you. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of early intervention is, is the best. There, you know, when it's on pen and paper, it's much easier to deal with preliminary designs. It's always easier to do it earlier on. 
then sort of leaving it to, you know, once you're quite developed and then you've submitted something to a statutory building surveyor certifier, and then you've got to rewind quite a lot of design and quite a lot of participants in that process to be able to get the design outcome that you want. So, yeah, there's, you know, just making that distinction more often than not, like I said, you, do, you will have dealt with the statutory building survey and residential projects more often and, yeah, they'll, they'll do that full building permit inspections and then occupancy permit at the end of it. Gotcha. No, that's a great run through. And I think, I don't think in every state that you necessarily have to have a separate person doing the consultative process compared to the the actual statutory approval process. I, I, from my previous experience in Queensland, the same certifier could do both, but I know that in New South Wales, it's the same thing. You, you, you can't have a you can't have somebody who's consulting to you during the design phase also providing the statutory review. And I actually, it's going to be interesting to see, I think, in terms of there being some some cleanliness. I, I mean, the whole reason that, that that would have been brought in as two separate roles is to make sure that that you've got those important checks and measures to ensure that it's actually meeting building code and that people aren't sort of moving through loopholes. And I think you know, obviously councils used to be the ones that provided the statutory certification, you know, a couple of, you know, decades ago. So I'm showing my age, but I remember when councils used to be who we'd go to get the statutory approval done and and get that assessment done. And since that's been privatised, obviously there's these checks and balances that come in in, t- in terms of who does what and how it gets siloed. So it's really interesting to hear. I mean, at Undercover Architect, we're all about the importance of creating a collaborative team from the start to get that input. Because as you say, whilst it's lines on a page, it's so much easier to change before you've fallen in love with it. You've invested all this money and time in creating it to then find out that uh, it's not going to achieve the approvals or that it's going to be super expensive to achieve the approvals because you need to jump through a bunch of hoops in order to make that happen. Just on the point of the the, the consultant and the statutory and uh, in Victoria it's very very heavily regulated so it's regulated in our acts and regulations and also our building authority have a code of conduct so that has really made the distinction quite clear Uh, and now I can't speak to the other states in terms of appointment of statutory building surveyors in Victoria once you actually engage a statutory building surveyor you're you're locked in quite heavily with them um, you can't shop around for stat because they're a regulatory. So once you appoint, if something were to arise where you no longer are able to work with your building surveyor, it actually needs to go through the building authority to to break that relationship. So it's just something to bear in mind. It's not once you you do appoint your building surveyor, it's um, and, and that that's not with a consultant building surveyor. It's that statutory body that you need to be mindful that you know even if it's a bit of a relationship issue that you have with them they are obliged to continue carrying out their statutory functions again I'm not too sure about the other states but that's how how the appointment works in Victoria oh that's great information because I know I can imagine that's come up because of developers sort of going no let's just fire him and find somebody who will don't like that interpretation (laughs) move on and and that's it's there to protect the the consumer ultimately um the statutory building surveyor has an obligation for building safety, consumer safety, you know, not the current, just the current owners, but future owners. So yeah, it's something that's uh, pretty stringently regulated. 
Fantastic. Now, I'd really love to dive into the National Construction Code 2022 and the changes that have been made because it's a big update for everyone involved. And of course, Victoria's just pushed back its uh, adoption of it for another six months. So that's, you know, I know that it's still a bit of a moving feast, particularly in Victoria. States have varied in terms of how they are adopting it and what parts of it they're adopting. But I find that everybody who's had this on their radar has been doing a lot of upskilling just because they know that it's coming at some point and that they need to be ready for it and understand it. As a professional who actually has to assist and guide people to understand the design and construction according to these new and updated regulations, and you're also helping to advise architects and builders and things like that about what they need to know about it, what are some of the challenges that you've seen professionals dealing with or that you've been kind of contending with yourself in terms of wrapping your head around the changes generally to the National Construction Code? So, I mean, initially it's just been the struggle of, the changing date I mean you, you know we've been we gave you were given about a year lead up to you know 2022 and then it got pushed and and even in Victoria now we're not we don't have full adoption so we're uh, we've pushed until May the condensation livable housing and energy efficiency but the rest of it is applying and I know some states aren't adopting it aren't adopting it in full so it's really been hard to set, you know, set a date in your mind to say, okay, this is where I really need to wrap my head around. So for me, like the energy efficiency stuff is the biggest change, the way we're looking at whole of home. It's just once you've got a mental point to, to date to work to, it's a lot easier to say, hey, you know, like I've got all, you know, and I mean the, the authorities have been great in, and the Institute of Building Surveying too has um, set out a lot of professional development, but it's not until you have that set date where you really have to start implementing it that it becomes practice for, for everyone, the building surveyors, design practitioners to get used to using it. The reference And the clients the as well, for them to know, okay, where is the drop dead date that I need to try and push towards if I'm going to be doing this, or I have to adopt all of the changes because I'm going to be the other side of it as well. That's been really challenging. And in Victoria, we have what's called a section 10. So if you've done considerable design prior to say the 1st of October when we started, then you can apply to your building today to say, no, the previous code applied and you have to show substantial uh, design work so even then you've got applications coming in that after the adoption date but you're still working through you know 2019 amendment one and then it's it's just a bit it, transition periods are always difficult but it's been particularly difficult this time around with so many different adoption dates and transitional periods and pushing out and just states doing all different kinds of things and even within the code you have state variations to construction methodology so it's just uh, yeah, it's, you just got to hone down, you work project by project and um, yeah, just keep up with what, what the industry is putting out in terms of professional development. Uh, but yeah, look, even just the, the way that the code is structured and learning to read, you have to almost learn to reread it again. But this is volume two. Volume one hasn't changed too much. Volume two, which is for domestic buildings, is considerably different. So you've gone from really using one book plus the reference standards to three books plus all the reference standards and getting used to, you know, I, I think probably until 2025, I'll still be using all the old 2019 um, BCA clauses because there's in the new version, there's a lot of more letters and numbers, but it's just case working through it and getting used to it. I mean, no one likes, tends to like change and uh, it's a nest, the, the changes that have come into place that it's a slow move in the right direction. It feels like it's probably a lot bigger than than what it is, but um, yeah, it's kind of getting used to it a lot of the time. 
It's really interesting to see when you actually go online that they've got still all of the NCC 2019 clause numbers down the right-hand side as, you go, as you're navigating the NCC 2022 clause numbers so that you can sort of be making that cross-reference in your yeah. brain. And I was, I was chatting to a Queensland-based certifier who had the PDF on his screen and he actually just used the PDF search to find um, because it said NC 2022 update. So he was basically using the find tool inside the PDF to then go through and see where all the clauses had been updated. That's exactly still what I've that, been doing. Yeah, in brackets afterwards. So, Yeah, I mean, it's great that they did that. I mean, I think the challenge of moving to this new referencing system would have been twice the effort if I was, you know, mentally just trying to um, work through, oh, was that, is that the same as the previous? Now you can actually can almost do a, you know, or what has changed with this code and, and yeah, you, you control F is a fantastic function with online <laughs> tools. <laughs> now, as part of the approval process, there's some definitions that you touched on. I really love to help the undercover architect community understand more about these. And so the structure of the NCC 2022, it lays out every clause as the functional statement, then the performance requirements, then it has the verification methods, and then it has the deemed to satisfy provisions. And then we have those reference documents, as you touched on, we've got housing regulations, the livable housing guidelines. So what does this all generally mean with the NCC 2022? And how do we navigate it? You know, how do we understand what these headings mean? And how do they sort of relate then to how we seek our approvals and understand what we actually have to do from a regulatory point of view for our projects? Yeah, so always uh, seems to be an area that I think we skim over in the the building code is actually the governing requirements so that's section a because that actually sets out how to read the code and when you have a look at that you'll see that the only mandatory provisions are the governing requirements and the performance provisions so I think that's a really important point to understand because often we start at say the deemed to satisfy and then work our way down so It's probably the most boring part of the code, but it's probably one of the most important ones to actually understand the structure and how to read it. So following that, the functional statement is essentially your guidance as to how the building is going to achieve the objectives of that particular part of the BCA. So it's a non-mandatory requirement. It's more guidance. Um, Same with the objectives. It's really just setting out what the intent is of that particular part of the code in um, achieving compliance. Following that, you'd see the performance provisions, which is alongside the governing provisions, the only mandatory part of the building code. So what it does is it actually sets out the level of performance that either a performance solution or a deemed to satisfy solution need to meet. And that's that's the level. So you've got governing requirements, you know, to ensure that you're reading and following the structure of the BCA correctly. And then your performance provisions, that's the level of performance that the building needs to achieve in a certain area. Now, the next level is, you'd see the verification methods. They're essentially a test, inspection, calculation, or other way of determining that a performance solution complies with performance provisions. So the BCA has a set of verification methods that can be used. um, And, you you know, some of your listeners may be aware of the energy efficiency where a reference building is used. That's quite a common one for domestic buildings. But it just needs to be you need to be aware that that verification method is an assessment method of a performance solution so it's a structured way for you to be able to demonstrate compliance to performance provisions different from a deemed to satisfy it's when you go through say a performance solution which I know we're going to speak about a little bit in a little bit more depth later on 
it's a way for you to actually, in a formalised method, be able to demonstrate compliance for a performance provision, not a deemed to satisfy. Yeah. Yeah, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that, you know, previously, I think, um, I know in in the past, those performance solutions have often been quite subjective from the point of view of the assessing or the regulatories, you know, the statutory uh, certifier. And it, it really sort of came down to a negotiation of was this solution that we were designing going to achieve the intent that was laid out in those functional requirements? And then they're, they're basically then making their own assessment. And so, and that was always open to interpretation. And you'd find, I mean, I remember we'd be like, well, let's go with that certifier for this job because we know that they're a little bit more lenient on this. Let's go for this certifier on this job because, you know, and so, um, and, and obviously, um, that's probably gone to the extreme in terms of some ha- how some um, less than scrupulous uh, operators have navigated those performance solutions to to meet the functional requirements. So the verification methods is actually a really interesting one to see so well laid out now in the code and to be so explicit in terms of, okay, you're not going to, if you can't do this in terms of the deem to satisfy, then this is how we need you to do this version and you need to then demonstrate how you're going to meet unfortunately though it's still discretionary now the performance provisions are they're quite qualitative in that they don't have real very defined parameters around you know how you demonstrate compliance so a verification method is a useful tool but it's also not a mandatory one so you can still do energy say a performance solution for energy efficiency without having to do the verification method for all parties involved it is great though to have the structure there if it, it is the most suitable way of demo- for you to be able to demonstrate compliance for each particular matter and not all matter for performance solutions have an option for verification the, the code also allows verification methods that are not within the code not within the building code but um, accepted by the relevant authority so ultimately all performance solutions are at the discretion of the relevant building surveyor and most of the performance provisions you'll find are qualitative, subjective to a degree, which, yeah, unfortunately, it's it's just one of those things that I don't think will, will change because you've got the prescribed or you've got the very restrictive requirements under the deemed to satisfy, which is your recipe book type checklist, okay, you were deemed to comply with the performance provisions but it is, the, in a performance solution point of view, it's always a struggle that the industry is having with well, what is acceptable and which is the introduction of the performance-based design brief. Part of the intent of that is to better the situation, not, uh, improve the situation in documenting design decisions and actually going through that process of testing and trialling and putting pen to paper as to how whoever's prepared the performance solution got to that end result and how it can justify it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, before we dive into those performance solutions and the performance-based design briefs, can you just touch on the reference documents in terms of how they sort of sleeve into all of this? Because they're obviously a new addition in terms of the structure as well. Yeah. So the new NCC, the way that it's structured is you've got section A, which is, I mean, that's standard from, from the previous version as well, which is your governing requirements. In volume two, you've then got section H, which is essentially your, um, I think of it as the table of contents. So your overarching umbrella as to 
where do I go to demonstrate compliance? So then under section eight, you have your objectives, your functional statements, your performance provisions, and then the deemed to satisfy. So in this new structure, the section H deemed to satisfy, we used to call them um, acceptable construction manuals or acceptable construction practice. It's essentially the acceptable construction manual. So it's telling you, okay, well, these are your options. You can either go to the, ref the reference documents, which is the housing provisions. You can go to one of the Australian standards or you can go to, you know, the Australian Building Codes Board's standard documentation. So it sets out that tree of where you need to go, depending on certain parameters, exemptions, and where you can use certain. Um, so the housing provisions, say, for slabs, you may not be able to use them in all scenarios because it's dictated by the size of the slab, you know, the, the soil conditions. So then if you can't meet that, then you need to go to an Australian standard or, you know, there are other pathways. So that's that section H sets out the pathway of how to demonstrate compliance, whether it's, you know, your performance provisions or then you're deemed to satisfy. So then following that, you've got, so after section H, then you've got all your schedules which will be your definitions and then each of the reference documents and also your state-based, because each state's then going to have a variation on how they adopt those parts of the code. Then we follow through to the next book, which is the housing provisions, um, then the, uh, the livable housing and then you know, your energy efficiency requirements. So you're then branching out from there and then that's separate to the Australian standards. And then Below that, we have some more state variations. So there's actually two sections of state variations. Um, so there's a bit of a process that you need to go through to actually work your way through the compliance tree umbrella, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, a tree is actually a really great way to think of it. It's not for the faint-hearted, is it? But it's um, it's it's one of those things where I had a certifier sort of take us through, showing us, okay, well, if this is if this is the situation you're dealing with or this is what you're thinking of doing from a design point of view, then this is where you go to do, like, you have to look at this and then you have to look at this because, and it was kind of like a, a yes, no, yes, no sort of process as you move through the tree. And it was quite clear once you could understand that that's how you had to navigate it, but it's obviously different to what we've been used to in the past. Like I can, I can see the sequencing that they've strategized so that it works from an online point of view as well as a um, a written, you know, of course, these these codes we used to have as printable books that used to sit beside our desk in the office. And, you know, we had one guy that we worked with that we called the Oracle because he seemed to have it all committed to memory. So, you know, and so if we ever had any issues, it was like him that we'd go to to say, hey, you know, Robbie, where is, where is this? What clause do I need to find? And he could just pull it out of his brain, you know, but, <laughs> but for those of us that aren't mental, you know, steel traps on these things, it's, um, it is much more, I think once we get to the use to the new structure, it is going to be simpler to navigate and more intuitive to navigate. It's just so different to what we've been used to. And I think, I think that understanding of, okay, this is, this is what you're contending with. So yes, no, yes, no. Keeping moving down the line to see, okay, what does that then mean from the point of view of your, what process you then have to uh, go through to get your approval? And I think being that most of us don't work on hard copy books anymore, I think it's, it's actually, I think it's complicated the situation, whereas the previous code, you could just work your way through and then if you needed to go to the separate standards but now it's and when you don't have physical books in front of you you probably you know ideally you have three screens and, and that's generally how I would work if you have your plans on one screen you have now and now I'll need you know one for housing provisions one for you know section eight and then the standards so yeah it's 
So again, it's another way of just learning to work differently. There's there was obvious intent and structure as to why it was done. Um, it's just you know we get stuck in our ways sometimes and <laughs> how to deal with things. Maybe I need to go back to paper, <laughs> and then I can have my books there. And <laughs> oh gosh, it's just a lot, isn't it? So I can see why everybody's reeling about it, but it's so good to have you kind of unpack it for us and and start to give clues and information for what people need to be aware of as they navigate it wherever they're located in Australia I think that um, there's going to be commonalities of terminology and uh, you know it is a national construction code so it's really going to be a case of of at least understanding that there is this structure to it what it means and then how we how we sort of start to ask those questions of the team that we're working with. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Laura. Now, in the next episode, you're going to hear part two where Laura will go into more detail about performance solutions in particular, what they mean, what might trigger the need for them, how you're going to go about acquiring them and who will need to be involved. Now, before you say, don't worry, Amelia, I'm just going to game the system. I'm going to go with fully deemed to satisfy on my project. I'm getting this. I'm understanding it. You may find that's actually not possible and it also may not be the best use of your site and your project's potential. So understanding performance solutions will be super worthwhile for you. And Laura does a really great job of unpacking it for us. Uh, So make sure you tune in for our next episode to hear that. Now, a few reminders for you before I finish up. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, I've got a free download of it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 289 and you can find links to find Laura there as well. And if you're a like-minded industry professional that's located anywhere, and I mean anywhere, both you know Australia, overseas, anywhere, and you help homeowners renovate or build their homes, and you'd like to work more closely with the Undercover Architect community members, then please check out the UA Army. It's free to join and you can find it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. That's A-R-M-Y. Of course, as well, if you'd like more structured help and guidance and to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you love living in, then Home Method is definitely the place for you. It's my flagship online program and in it, you'll join a community of amazing and super informed homeowners on a similar journey to you. And it's also where you can access my personalized support and guidance in your project as well. You can find out more about Home Method by heading to homemethod.com.au or to the Undercover Architect website and look for Home Method on the menu. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.